Lord God, you made us for love, and conflict is all too often our basic situation. Please take the conflicts of our lives and make it us the instruments of bringing love to your world. Amen. Well, Adam and Eve, of course, there's conflict between each other. She made me do it. There's conflict between them and God. You shall leave the garden. The story of Abraham, his conflict with the kings in the valley of Sidim. Moses, conflict with his own people. David, conflict within his family. Job and Jonah, conflict with God's will. The Psalms, my own people hate me. Daniel, conflict with the king, and so it goes on. And it's not a weird difficulty with the ungodly. Rather, conflict in Scripture is very often uh, within the people of God. And if that's then, what about now? Beatrice has worshipped at St. Julian's for 25 years. She's been a stalwart in the kitchen, making Sunday coffees for 15 years. A new church administrator comes into post and decides it all needs a bit of a shake-up and she asks Millie to take over. Beatrice is told all this in a short email from the office, and she is upset. What should she do? Conflict happens. John has fallen out with Jim, so much so that John refuses even to sit in church where he can see Jim. And that one's not made up. That happened here. I know, because Howard told me, although he never told me who John and Jim were. Conflict happens. It happens in churches, among God's people, and conflicts are probably handled worse among God's people than anywhere else. Why? Because we're supposed to be nice. I've got one message for you tonight and one central verse. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Conflict is for facing. Do you please turn to uh, page 985, if you've uh, lost that page. 985. Conflict is for facing. It's not easy news for followers of Jesus. It's not even easy news for English people. We are chronic avoiders of conflict. We flee from it. These examples come from one of those selections of very English problems that you get on the internet, And those of you who aren't English can enjoy it particularly. Watching with quiet sorrow as you receive a different haircut from the one you requested. Punishing people who don't say thank you by muttering, you're welcome, as quietly as possible. Loudly tapping your fingers at the cash point to assure the restless queue behind you that you have asked for your money and the weight is out of your hands. Or on the train saying, sorry, is anyone sitting there? When you really mean, I see there's a bag on that seat, but no person, I suggest you move it. I wonder how the national stereotypes played out in the kind of process that David Cameron and his team have just been through. Are there southern nationalities that wave their hands a lot? Easterners who thump the table? And do the Brits just smile a lot and say, I'm most awfully sorry, but uh, 
faced with conflict, our native strategy is avoidance and flight. Or indeed, it's opposite, fight. One of my future colleagues in Amsterdam phoned me from the Netherlands the other day to ask my advice. Just like we belong here as a church to the Anglican deanery of Norwich South, I shall belong to the little deanery of the Netherlands. Uh, And something is going on in the deanery that my colleague is very unhappy about, and I understand why. And I could tell on the phone that he was up for a fight. It was his native reaction. Why might that be? Well, because in that case, because the power relationships were unbalanced. The brother, in this case, was sinning not so much against my colleague, but against the rules, and they are good rules, designed for common protection. So my colleague, how to think, how does he ask the bishop to crack on and apply the rules? Don't normally get very far asking bishops to crack on and apply the rules. We often adopt a fight response in conflict, precisely at those moments when we think we might lose or we think we may have a weaker position. The truth is my colleague just needs to say to the bishop, look, I'm concerned to hear about this. What do you think I should do? Sounds simple. It's very difficult to do. And the reason it's difficult to do is that if the bishop then turns around and says, well, you're wrong, there's no plan B to fall back on. We've lost. There's nowhere to go. When power comes into play in conflict, there's an additional toxin in the mix that Jesus is talking about. What do we do if we lose? When we may already be feeling vulnerable. It's much easier to cover up our sense of vulnerability by sounding uppity and bolshy and by boosting ourselves by talking to those who may agree with us. Those are all just simply ways in which conflict so often plays out and it causes tremendous damage in families, in committed relationships between partners and in the church. I think of the grandfather clock that was promised as an heirloom to two sides of my Irish family with the result that they haven't spoken for years, decades, over a clock. It may seem ridiculous, but it makes perfect sense to them. Because it's a family where there was always a tendency to look for the insult. Both sides felt vulnerable. How many partner conflicts end up tearing families apart? You've probably, some of you, had to live through it. Because a sin could not be forgiven. In my wider family, I can think of a case of adultery. Confessed and forgiven, but golly, it's been a hard road. And that's where there is an addressing of conflict. Imagine how tempting it must have been to just give over the adultery and never admit the conflict, and then no doubt it would have exploded at the wrong moment. And how much damage is done to the church of God because of conflicts avoided? Of course, a human community like a church or any other offers a wonderful little petri dish in which to culture all the energies that should go into addressing conflict, but don't. What will Beatrice actually do 
when she finds out she's been moved aside for Millie. Will she talk to the church administrator? Probably not. Instead, she will talk to her friends, who think she's terrific, about what a terrible thing that that new administrator has done, and they will sympathise, and they won't dream of asking her to deal with it. After all, the truth is, as the book of Job recognised, that evil is naturally sweet in the mouth. So they will talk to their friends about what a terrible thing the office has done to Beatrice, and so it spreads. What happened about John and Jim, I don't know, because I didn't know who they were. But that was the situation that Howard told me about. It wasn't resolved by the time he told me. And someone had told Howard. And someone had told that person. And I guess it eventually led back to John, who told someone rather than talking to Jim. The church of God is crippled when sin and difficulty are not addressed. So let's see what to do, and let's look at the context. Let's look at the principal verses uh, 15 uh, through to 17 here. Stage one, someone has done something that is sinful, and you are the damaged party. Stage two, Jesus says, go speak to them. Just one-to-one. Why? Because if it gets sorted out, then no one needs to know about it. Stage three. If it doesn't get sorted out, verse 16 by now, you take one or two others along. Why? Well, they may help change his or her mind. But if this should go all a bit pear-shaped, you've at least then got a couple of people who can be clear about what was said. That's why, as the verse 16 reminds us, the Old Testament law required witnesses. Stage four. If it doesn't get sorted out, you are then entitled to tell everyone in the church. That should sort it. Stage five, if it still doesn't get sorted out, you're entitled to treat him as an unbeliever. That is, like a pagan or a tax collector. Now, let me ask a practical question. I imagine we have all been at stage one. We have all been sinned against. Uh, This is not going to be an embarrassment. I'm not going to kind of push you or ask you, you know, who, where, when and why and all the rest of it. just want to know these... How many of us have then spoken one-to-one to to a person causing us damage? Okay. Our LPA in charge of outreach is going... How many of us have then had to take one or two others along as witnesses? Fewer. Fewer. Anyone had to go to the church? No, I guess that wouldn't have happened. I haven't. Well, let me summarise so far. There are wrong responses. Flight or fight. Jesus tells us the right response is to face it. A last main point. Why face it? Well... 
Let's look at the first and the last verses of chapter 10. Sorry, chapter 18. Jesus is teaching. Verse 1, they want to know who is the greatest. Flip over and go to the last verse. You must forgive your brother from the heart. So the whole context in chapter 18 is the contrast between the world's and the kingdom's way of thinking. The world thinks about greatness and getting mine. The kingdom of heaven thinks about meekness and giving mercy. The parable before our main focus tonight, uh, and it's there in verses 12 through to 14. The parable before our focus has mentioned the one sheep that wanders off. Finding that sheep brings the shepherd inestimable joy. And the point, well, according to verse 14, your father in heaven does not want any of the little ones lost. And although in the same uh, section, uh, he's been talking uh, about a little child. It's there in uh, verses 2, 3 of chapter 18. When Matthew records Jesus talking about the little ones, uh, he's kind of moving between two worlds. He means, yes, literally the children, but he also means, because of the the concerns that Matthew has, he's particularly interested in Jesus' teaching about those in the church who are, in a sense, weak and despised. Those who are uh, probably the slaves. Those who have no status in the world. Those on whom it would be easy to look down. And he is saying in uh, the early part of chapter 18, uh, the little ones of all kinds, that literally the children, but also those of low status, they are especially valuable. Finding the sheep brings the shepherd tremendous joy. And the danger is in every conflict is that we forget the status of the person who has sinned against us. The danger is that there is an angry or bitter person who will get himself or herself lost. Look at the end of verse 15. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Verse 14, not willing that any of them should be lost... Verse 15, you have won. That's what Jesus is playing with. He doesn't want a loss, he wants a win. And I think it's an astonishing motive. See, if we, if we said, what's Jesus going to say about conflict? We, we might not have come up with something very different from what he does actually say. But we would probably expect that he would say, it's really about doing the right thing. It's about being moral, treating conflict properly. But he's not saying that. If you are the one sinned against, and we've all been there, then your motive for tackling it 
is so that the sinner will not be lost. The person you don't like very much at that moment, the person who may still have power or influence over your life. At that moment, sinner and sinned against are brothers or sisters, siblings anyway, in the adopted family of God. What's going on in chapter 18 throughout it? It's a a description of worth. And that's why Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. It is finally about the worth of that sheep, that foolish, wandering off, low-status sheep. The worth of that sheep to the shepherd is immense. So far as you can, and we do have a bit more of a a bend to our service, to our uh, seating pattern, just look around you for a moment. Every person you see, every person you're looking at, is of worth to the shepherd. Not because they're good or bad or indifferent, but because the shepherd has determined it to be so. When we run away from a conflict or handle it wrongly, It will be because we've not taken into account the worth of the other person. Of course, the world is going to look upon the one sinned against as being in the weaker position. Perhaps a a more powerful character has abused a less powerful one. That happened when King David took the wife of one of his soldiers... But the prophet Nathan slammed David to the floor with a story about the worth of the one sheep in the family of a poor man over the many sheep in the flock of a rich man. According to Jesus, it is the sinner who is in the vulnerable position. And that's astonishing, I think. Not the sinned against one. The sinner is the one who is in more eternal danger because he or she is in danger of being lost. It is for their sake that we must speak to them. Well, I've given examples of things going wrong. I can think of a time, and I mention him only because he's leading the service, when Mike called me out on something. He talked to me, sorted me out. He was right. I'd been in the wrong on something, and I was very glad he did. Well, let's finish with some practicalities and something on prayer. Rules, if you like. I find this verse the most useful and practical of the many verses that most people never bother with or don't even know are there. It is a goldmine on how to conduct human relationships. First of all, can we have slide one, please? Thank you, Tom. The situation that Jesus is talking about is a sin. It's not just a mistake, not just a professional issue. There's a sin has gone on. To follow the other sacred text from Frozen, there are lots of other things in our lives that simply it's best just to let go. But when it's a sin, you deal with it. Secondly, Thomas, it's for those in it to sort it 
not third parties. If you're caught up somehow, and we can be in these things, your job is to go to the two people involved and say, you two, sort it out. Your job is not to listen to someone crying on your shoulder if they haven't first addressed the issue. Thirdly, there are power imbalances, and that is normal, especially in a church. Perhaps there's a small group leader who's done something they shouldn't towards you. Perhaps my bishop's done something towards me. There are power imbalances that mean there are vulnerabilities in a situation like this. And those vulnerabilities mean we need protection. Thank you, Thomas. That's why the witnesses can be useful here. So those practicalities. Situation is a sin. It's for those in it to sort it. And where there are power imbalances, which is normal, they may need protection. But then prayer. Why? Well, not just because it's always a good thing. But because without prayer, would we ever realise that this issue of conflict is about one lost sheep mistreating another lost sheep? And both of them are of inestimable worth to the shepherd. Last slide, please, if you would, Thomas. Just a picture I saw while I was away on retreat. Just think, the person who has upset you, the sinner in the situation, is the lamb around the neck of Jesus. Well, let's leave that slide up for a moment, and I want to close in prayer. Two prayers, I think. I suggest we pray open-eyed. You may want to find that uh, slide, or just kind of look at that slide. Or you may want to uh, look at those around you. Lord God, how easy it is to write anyone off. How especially easy it is to write off someone who has hurt us. For us to feel aggrieved, self-righteous wanting to draw others to us, to take our side. And yet at that moment it may be that we are not the one in danger of being lost. And if you had a a situation, a particular situation of conflict in mind when we started our time, Bring it back to your thoughts now. Lord God, give us the courage to walk into those situations of potential conflict, not as those who avoid, who flee from it, want to fight within it, but as those motivated by the worth of the person with whom we're engaged. In Jesus' name, amen. And another prayer for our church at this time. Lord God, uh, we are going to go as a church into a new kind of period. 
as I disappear and the church gives thought to who should come in my place. There will be strong opinions expressed. There will probably from time to time be hurt. There will be those who are articulate, who frustrate those who may have just as valid an opinion, but are quieter. There are those whose opinions seem obvious, and there are those whose opinions are represented by very few, but it might just be that that's them plus your Holy Spirit. Thinking of the stories I heard after I came here, this is going to be a situation of enormous potential conflict. And we pray against it. Give us the grace in this room here tonight to play it straight. Neither to fight conflict nor to flee from it, but to address it. And to give to one another the proper worth of being your sheep and your children. Amen.